Welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So, friends, we are now in the great season of Eastertide in the church. Uh, so, welcome to the third episode of our Easter series. Uh, just a quick recap in Lent, we had a series. Um, oh, no, I forgot what that series name was called. About faith practices? Yeah, faith practices. <laughs> And we've kind of continued that a little bit uh, through this Easter season about what gives life um, and how does Jesus give life. So our first episode was about how Jesus gives life. And then last week we talked about how sometimes we need to remember that church work is not always just sprinting as fast and as hard as you can, but is a marathon and that we have to sometimes trust in the slow work of God. So where are we going today? Well, today we might, we thought we might carry that baton a little bit forward with the thought of if you're running the the Christian life or the church life as a marathon, what helps us either to avoid burning out in whatever capacities or ways we are connected with church life, and maybe um, if if prevention is not the right word, what when we're on the verge heading in there, what helps pulls us back or brings us back to life? Uh, so maybe what gives us life while everything is going okay to prevent burnout and what helps bring us back to life when we find ourselves sliding toward things that feel like burnout, uh, not just in the season of Easter, but in all, in all our lives here as, as the Easter people of God, as this community called church. Mimi, would it be helpful for us to uh, sketch out a little bit about what we mean by burnout and maybe how that uh, cluster of of symptoms is different than just I'm tired at the end of one day or had one bad day or a bad week or something? How 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 would yeah. you, in your experience, talk about or how have you heard others helpfully define or describe burnout? So I think burnt like the symptoms of burnout will appear different to different people. Okay. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm prone to anxiety hmm. and my spouse is more prone to depression. And so our like red flags of we are doing too much in too short of a time um, will manifest in very different ways. But burnout, I often think of it as you've kind of lost interest in things uh. or you get tunnel vision like and it's kind mm-hmm. of just that like mentality of like you're doing too much mm. and like for me burnout tends to happen when all parts of my life have come together and they all have heavy things in them and then mm-hmm. so I'm carrying too much yeah. and I feel like I can't put anything down because if I put one thing down it's all gonna come down mm-hmm. and like I can't put the things down because other people are relying on me. And if I put it down, then it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to fail and it's all going to be my fault. (laughs) And so like, that's what burnout is for me. And like, again, I think that that's just my perspective. Maybe Mm -hmm. that resonates with other people, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure it feels different for different people, Sure, but it's that doing too much. Can I ask Mm -hmm. you then like, how how in your experience have you been able to uh feel out the difference for 
just having a rough day and nope, this could be the beginning of something more? Is it just more that it doesn't go away over an extended period of time or does it feel different or what, what, what for, for you knowing your own personal sort of triggers or markers or things like that, what helps you to distinguish when we might be in more, uh, more serious territory, deeper waters than just, I had a rough day. Usually when I notice that it's more than half of my days are bad days. Ah, there we go. Okay. Like usually it's closer to like three quarters of my days are bad days. Uh And then like I realize that, oh, my only good days are the days where I'm not working or the days that I happen to see colleagues in person. Mm. Um, And those are good days. And then the other days, bad days. And so then then it's like, "Mm, well, all right. Well, if most of my days are bad, then let's examine what's going on because ministry should be joy-filled there's of course going to be heavy days where you're walking with somebody through grief or whatever but even those days because I'm making connections with people Mm -hmm. are still good days even if they're also sad like you know Pixar's Inside Out has shown us (laughs) that we can feel more than one emotion at a time Mm -hmm. and even when I am feeling the heavy emotions because I'm walking with somebody through something bad, yeah. I still feel those happy emotions of like, I'm making a good connection. Yeah, I'm really glad that I can be here for you. And so it's still a good day, even though it's a hard day, if that makes sense. That does. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like then like part of what helps you to key in is like, if you're having like a day that feels heavy, but it's like, yeah, I've been, I was just in the hospital with somebody in the way in the emergency room or we went through a funeral, like, okay, that's probably more grief and, and that loss piece. Not, but like when it's, I've had a, a bunch of days that in an ordinary time period, these things should be bright spots for me and they're not right. that. Yes. Okay. How about for and you? Oh, go ahead. So recently when I recognized that I was going through a burnout or approaching burnout rather, mm-hmm. um, my biggest trigger was that I realized in prayer one day I was asking to get sick Mm. so I could take a break. (laughs) And then I had to take a giant step back in the middle of the prayer and go, whoa, whoa, I have vacation time. (laughs) Maybe I should schedule a vacation (laughs) because you shouldn't be asking God to give you COVID or something like that. So you can take that mandatory like 10 days off or whatever, like vacation time, use it. This is maybe a side note for like why when we talk in this podcast about a theology of prayer is always good news that prayer is different than wishing that God is obligated. You said it now I must make you sick, even though that was a terrible thing to ask. Nope. God reserves right to go. I tell you what, actually vacation might solve that problem a little bit better than a terrible disease. (laughs) Yep. Erica, can I ask for you in your experience or in your circles, how, how uh, do you think about or describe or see what burnout looks like and identify it? So I, don't have so much the anxiety I, I turn more towards what Russ goes through the depression you know those things that typically might bring me joy are no longer bringing me joy um and as an introvert already and a relatively strong one when I find myself just wanting to lock myself away in my office and just have no interaction with people um even the people I really like even my staff my associate you know um, parishioners that I, I really just dearly love, but I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I really don't want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's for me often a sign of something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, I'm approaching burnout. It could be just that I'm doing too much, um, which will eventually lead to, to burning out. Um, 
but usually it, it's more that, that loss of interest that you talked about, Sarah, is definitely a part of it. Because um, I like most parts of what we get to do in ministry. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of the administrative stuff. That's mm-hmm. annoying. But, <laughs> you know, the visitations, the writing of sermons, the, the putting together of Bible studies, those things I enjoy. And when they become a severe burden, I'm just like, oh, gosh, it's another week. Another Sunday's coming. What am I going to say this time? Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I probably need some some time off. I've yep. never prayed to get sick uh-huh. <laughs> so I could get time off. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'll take a mental health day. Yeah. Just be like, you know what? I'm going to say I'm working from home maybe, and I might do a little work, but maybe I'm just going to go play with a dog. Mm-hmm. And just not go into the office and hope that that might kind of start to bring me out of it. So, and this this maybe begins to get us in the direction that hopefully by the end of the conversation we'll have said more about. But like, uh, if if our broad umbrella heading is talking about what gives us life, and that we're convinced that in the Christian community it is possible not just to have the life sucked out of us, but mm-hmm. that we can thrive and all that. It sounds like you have found like some initial step or like small step kind of things like if you feel yourself a little bit trending there okay i need to take a day i need to take a a, a a mental health day or part of a day or something like that and i'm gonna guess but tell me if i'm wrong here that like one of two things comes out of that either after that mental health day you're feeling closer to yeah i'm ready to function again and tomorrow you go back at it or if not then it's okay clearly this is more involved i've got to do whatever the next step or something more involved mm-hmm. But not just like, well, I tried one day off and it didn't work. I guess I go back to mind-crushing, soul-sucking existence. Like, no, you you still have to work toward how do I get back to being good again, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I would also piggyback off of Erica's thing is taking even half a day off. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. like, that is sometimes such a breath of fresh air. And it might not be like, you know, because we have to continually breathe. Mm-hmm. So that might be not be the fix fix, but it sometimes gives you enough of a perspective to realize what your next steps should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's really good for those mental health days are naps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I will often find myself, I'll go home, turn on the TV and fall asleep because sometimes just a nap can reset. Mm-hmm my entire day mm-hmm. it's uh which um it was either elijah or elisha right is praying to god and basically saying just take elijah. my life right it's not right, worth right. living and the voice of god answers something <laughs> like here is some food. food eat the food go take a nap i'll <laughs> <Yep. laughs> be better in the morning yeah and like i feel like that is such a good reminder of yeah. Sometimes making sure that your basic needs are met, like food, hydration, mm-hmm. and that you are caught up on sleep, yeah, can give you a whole new perspective. You know, I, I'm so grateful that you mentioned that passage in the Bible because, like, I think sometimes we can come to the biblical text like that and completely misread as though, like, Elijah is being put in front of us as, like, a positive example in that, like, he's so dedicated, he wants to die. I was like, hold on, maybe this is the story of a time Elijah needed to hear that and get some rest, rather than, you're not working hard enough mm-hmm. unless you want to die. No, no. Um, and I, like, I can remember, 
I don't know what classical uh, composer it was. It might have been Mendelssohn who wrote like this famous oratorio of Elijah. And I can remember mm-hmm. when I was in um, junior high or high school, my father sang this piece for the the church. It was like maybe in Lent or something. And like the part of the oratorio that my father sang is that it is enough, O Lord, now take away my life. And it's sort of like, I get that that's part of the biblical text. So sure, you could make a song out of it. But like, what message is being heard by ears who are hearing, this is a hero of the faith and he worked so hard he was wanting to die when like the point of the story isn't you should work so hard you want to die. But if you let yourself get to that point, look, God stops him from completely self, you know, consuming um, and mm-hmm. from blowing up. But God, yeah, let's put the brakes on. Here's some ravens who are bringing you some bread and meat and here's some water. And that God gives him, the, I guess, the time and space to have that sort of like he needs to vent and have that kind of pity party. So because there's a number of stories where his prayer to God is, God, I want to die. God, I want to die. And, OK, Elijah, you vent as much as you need and then we'll move on. I actually, I, I wonder whether what what you described, uh, both of you, in sort of those mental health day or or partial day, whatever moments, um, and that idea of something that helps vent off a little steam or pressure, not as a permanent as a permanent fix, but sort of the way you described, Sarah, as it may be that what it will take to get into a good balance is more than just one day of rest away. But if you are feeling like you are overheating in that sort of pressure of life and one day uh, of rest or renewal or whatever allows enough breathing space to with a clear head, then work on the rebalancing. Cause sometimes the rebalancing can feel like it's additional work and you're already swamped with stuff to do. And then to sort of hair that inner monologue be, and now you have to work on a better work-life balance. Where am I going to find the time to work on that? Sometimes the first step is just breathe, just, you know, nap, just pause and then we'll that yeah we'll get to that but that idea of building in those spaces and times for breathing space can be such a helpful thing and something i've done throughout my ministry um is i'm very intentional i get four weeks of vacation a year i have yet to take all four of them but i'm very intentional about two of them i always take one in january and i always take one not easter week but the week after because those are after the high holy days and the crazy seasons and the busy season and that is my way to get away january is always a staycation i clean up my house put away my christmas decorations after easter i always go and visit my best friend in kentucky but that's a way for me to kind of like come down from the craziness that we just went through in a holy season to get that rest that separation um and that renewal so that hopefully any type of burnout I might've been experiencing during that holy season can get taken care of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was talking with somebody, a matter of fact, earlier this week. Um, and so this is somebody n- not in a uh, church profession. They, they uh, actually have been like a, a stay at home parent. And um, they were talking about just the burden of being a go-to in their circle of friends and family that like, there's somebody that like everybody without realizing it, like dumps on their, like their world problems or whatever. And this person Mm -hmm. is just at this point of like, I can't do that full time all the time. And like, this is not even something I signed up for, but like what I, you know, and, and it was interesting as we were talking about like how sometimes it can be helpful just to have that, that space in, 
making some time in the, in, in the course of your week. Okay. I need to have at least a couple of venting points and it, that it may not be conversation mm-hmm. with people. It may just be, I need a space of time where I'm not going to put anything else on my calendar. And I know they're at least someone, no one is piling on and there I can vent. And the stuff that I am asked to do or be aware of or care about for other people doesn't disappear, but it's like, here's time I don't have to carry it all the time. Um, and it, I guess that's a reminder to me that in some ways in church life, among other helping professions as well, this is certainly a, a concern. But in some ways, everybody, whether you have a job as a religious professional or not, like how do you how do you deal with those times where it feels like you are approaching overwhelmedness and burning outness, mm-hmm. and that this may be a useful tool or strategy for for anybody, whether or not you have a calendar based on the high holy days or not. <laughs> And being able to find that time and maybe that place. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, um, they have like their, their spot in the house where if they're sitting in that spot, you leave them alone. Mm-hmm. So they're just having that moment. And um, Susanna Wesley, the John and Charles's mother, John and Charles Wesley being the founders of the Methodist movement. Um, she didn't necessarily have a space. She had an apron. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes, she, when she would put the apron over her head, that was leave mom alone. <laughs> Mom's raising like 10 kids. Yeah. And, and a husband who was in and out because of debtor's prison stuff. Um, that was like, okay, leave mom alone. This is her quiet time. This is her time. Usually she was praying, but yeah. you know, that was her space and her place to just be like, okay, I can't be bothered right now. I will get to you when I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to say right now, I think I'm willing to adopt that policy as well. If either of you ever see me wearing an apron on my face, that is definitely, you want to probably give me a little wide berth right there. Some, some, something's up. I'm dealing with something. If I've got an apron on my head, I'm just, I'm going to say that right now. I, 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 so I just realized something in your response, Erica, that that response was a perfect introvert response. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. To carve out space and time for yourself to find that alone time to recharge. And you see, I'm like borderline. Like there are some days that I can tell that I'm more introverted. And then there are some days when I'm way more extroverted. Like I'm mm-hmm. kind of right on that line. But for me, for burnout, my answer is not so much carve out alone time, but rather carve out time to reconnect with people. Oh, okay. Yeah. And like, more of reconnect with people who are friends Mm. and not so much like reconnect with like parishioners who I feel like I'm like have a responsibility for yeah Yeah. but Mm -hmm. rather some like people who I can just hang out with yeah it feels like that is naming that there's there's an important difference when you're in those kind of social situations is that you know going in that there's not the sense of obligation or responsibility uh, mm-hmm. for these people's well-beings. And that that's part of the beauty of the friend-to-friend peer relationship in a way that's different than even family. There tends to be a, you know, oh, this is my child, so I might like being with them, but they also, if they need a juice cup, I need to get them, like, there's your on. Right. Or even with aging parents, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be like, okay, you you care for me, but now I have this responsibility to look after you in some way. But like the the friend social relationship, that kind of peer relationship doesn't come with those unspoken strings of I might be asked to do more. Or or even if they do, you know that they'll also do more for you. Sure, sure. Right? There's that sense like of reciprocity. I, right, yeah. Because like, um, you know, my current friend group, someone's going through cancer. 
and we're showing up for her. Mm -hmm. But also like I'm going through, you know, if I'm going through something, I know that they're going to show up for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's not one sided in the mm -hmm. way that professional pastor with parishioner yeah. is sometimes one sided. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, and I think that's just, I think a good indicator and reminder that no matter what profession that you're in mm -hmm. to make sure that you have friend group of uh, fr friends. Yeah. outside of that organization yeah mm -hmm. and and recognizing the importance of that i think unavoidable asymmetry to some of those relationships that you know the way uh pastor to congregation even if you like the people very well or you get along together they're not there to be your pastor i mean you know to be pastor to you that that's a different role and yes. uh in a way that uh you know um uh, teachers might enjoy their students, but they're not supposed to go dumping their emotional problems on their students. And, you know, even parents of children, th there may come a point in adulthood where you might think of your grown children being something more like a friend. That's not like the, the goal in raising young children is not, I want to be their friend, but nope, this is always going to be kind of asymmetrical. I'm looking out for them. And that sometimes means they get the help, second helping and I don't, or I go out of my way for their needs. And that asymmetry is not a flaw, but a feature. That is how that relationship is. Yes. And I guess that's another piece to name is that sometimes, um, and this is where maybe situation of burnout can go really, really badly. Sometimes people who sense they are burning out misuse those relationships of trust with the you know the, the whether it's a pastor with their congregation or a teacher with their students or whatever and and you end up seeking or getting your needs met from people that you are there to provide for and they're like whoa 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 danger danger will robinson that's again friends are are great is that there is a back and forth there's something closer to a symmetry over the long haul but so not to self-diagnose burnout and go therefore i can do things that might be seen as taking advantage of this relationship with people who I have a close relationship with that. That's an important, important um, canary in the coal mine, maybe, or, or guardrail. So what about you, Steve? What do you do when you find yourself burning out or like what you see in your congregation? Um, well, I, I guess I notice in my, in myself in particular, um, when I, Sometimes it's that sense of like a lot of stuff that has to get done in a short amount of time. And the way I heard you uh, saying earlier, Sarah, that feeling of like, if you drop any of it, the whole house of cards might come down. Like, and I, I maybe this is to some degree unavoidable in what you called Erica, those high holy day times of like, there's a lot that because of the calendar we choose and because of the way our faith works, mm -hmm. there's going to be times when there's a lot of stuff that is called of us to do at a particular time in a short amount of time. Um, and like that sense of a lot that needs to be accomplished. And I, in those times I, I can end up feeling sort of overwhelmed. And then I notice I get kind of cranky or snippy about little things that in a normal day or normal week would not set me off. Uh, so like, I guess those are things that I notice. And, and when it's around one of those times of year where I can tell there's going to be a release valve on the calendar, like you get to Easter Sunday and in my family, we just know. I'm not good for much of anything come Easter Sunday afternoon. It is nothing personal, but I am going to need the rest of that afternoon. And maybe at dinner time, I'll be ready to wash dishes or help or something like that. But like from probably three to five, don't count on me being very useful. I'm very sorry, but I will not be very useful. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's just that like that, that uh, I guess that, that pacing yourself kind of sense of like, okay, the end point is in sight. 
what I really get have a hard time with is when I can't see an endpoint in sight or I like things will change at mm. such and such a point. And again, maybe that's another uh, marker for the difference between burnout and just going through a particularly busy season too, is that when you can tell yourself, yeah, this has been a rough week, but I look at my account. Well, of course I did this and this and this, of course I'll be weary. And next week is going to be better. I can see the calendar is clear or whatever. That's different from, it's like this all the time and there's no end in sight. That certainly has that feeling of like red flags are there. And I, I guess I would say what what is helpful for me or what I have found helpful so far, life-giving to borrow our own catchphrase, um, is, um, and for me, someone who is tends to be more introverted as well, um, I, I need in those days to at least make sure that part of my day off really is a day off. And like there, there are times I'm sure for a lot of folks uh, and a lot of clergy, especially where a day off can kind of be like one of those like squishy. Well, there's a couple of things that didn't quite get done yet. All right. I get, then get finished on the day off or family stuff happens too. So like, you know, despite the fact that I might tell people, Hey, Fridays, I'm not going to be in the office. Um, I will still need to, you know, I might be on for making dinner or I might be on. So like that kind of thing. But when I'm feeling particularly weighed down, there'll be like something that tells me, nope, this one needs to be, I need to carve out some time. And I need to make sure that that time is um, restful and not more is being asked of me or I'm just, yeah, that, that, and sometimes I will just be able to have a slower paced morning or afternoon. And then it gets to be a cup of coffee and a book or something like that. Or sometimes it'll be, like um it, this is a real life example i have been really really wanting there's a pot there's a spot at one of the parks in our county where they have trained the birds to eat like bird seed out of your hand if you go up up at blue spruce park and there's a part of me that thinks like i'm when i actually get a friday that's a real honest to goodness day off right i'm gonna go up there and because my kids will get bored of that but i'm gonna go and see if the birds i'm like and there's a piece of me that's like <laughs> i need to do that at some point just because it's it's something out of my wheelhouse out of my ordinary and it will mm-hmm. be restful and it'll be you know that kind of thing um or there was a day back in um back last summer it was like the the kids had had gone back to the school years like maybe their first second week of school my wife's back at school and so again my day off really was a day off and I wasn't like overseeing the kids because they were home for the summer but nope they were everybody's away and so I went and drove down to um Buttermilk Falls, which is this little waterfall, is like in the southern part of our county. It's like mm, half an hour drive, and nothing has changed about that location. It's still the same waterfalls I've been to. We've been there a number of times, but it was like I needed to take a couple of hours, mm-hmm. to, and I drove down and walked, you know, by the waterfall. You can actually get behind the waterfall, and it was just like I don't know why what compelled me, but that was really helpful. And even saw a salamander. It was really cool. Um, and like I came back with a sense of I'm not sure why I needed that or what in my gut told me that was what I needed to do but man that was really good so I guess sometimes that that's what is helpful for me and um in those moments I think what is especially good for me even though it's sometimes it's hard for me to accept about this about myself is that I need to have times where I'm not doing something that there's an end product at the end that I can go see I made this or I did this because like mm-hmm. sometimes that's my other angle is I'll want to make something or be creative or I'll uh when everybody else goes to bed I'll go downstairs into the basement and I'll paint something or I'll even mowing the grass feels like see I did that and I sometimes that's helpful and sometimes I need to go no what I need is something where there's not another product that I've made at the end because that just reinforces the notion of your value is tied to did you do enough at the end of the day mm-hmm. And sometimes breaking that or preventing myself of indulging into that, I I find helpful, even if it's hard to get into. That um, that 
that that philosophy though of doing because i heard this briefly in when you're mm -hmm. what you were talking about steve of doing something that where you actually have an end product mm -hmm. is actually something that i know i was encouraged to mm -hmm. do in seminary sure of find a hobby that at the end of the project there is an end yeah. product that you can touch mm -hmm. and you can see because so much of ministry is it's not like that yeah it's not that right like yeah. you finish a sermon and then you immediately have to start another sermon yeah. um you finally get this conflict over here resolved but oh look another conflict yeah. has popped up and it's all stuff that's not super tangible mm -hmm. so by having a hobby that there is an end product is sometimes helpful because yeah. then you, oh yeah hey, look i completed something yeah. and it, it's gonna stay completed but and I that's would, also not the end all be all because well, right. right and our I, time is not like you said our, our value is not tied in with what we have accomplished and mm -hmm. i would say for me it's in the broad sweep having multiple go-to responses like that because there'll be sometimes when my gut's like you know what when everybody else goes to bed you need to paint something and like you know the world did not ask me to paint a painting i'm not going to sell it but like yeah sometimes it's i need to have a project and if this is something i can do in one evening great i'll do that um and then there's other times where like i can feel that almost as a temptation of like then you'll have done something like nope i need this this day needs to be not doing more it needs to be and and I don't need to go advertise to everybody. Hey, I spent three hours, you know, sitting in a cat. Sometimes it'll be like, uh, I need to go out of my house and go to a coffee shop and pay for coffee and a biscuit or a cookie or a scone or something and sit with a book. And like, it doesn't need to be long. But again, it's just that sense of like, this time is not about modifying something. And so mm -hmm. I guess I guess that that's a piece of it for me. And maybe in that regard too, one thing that I found helpful for me, then I don't, I don't know if this is just me and one of my quirks or would be useful for anybody else, but I have found that it is helpful, uh, that reading poetry is helpful. One, because of the brevity compared with reading a novel, which to me can feel like it's an accomplishment, or if it's like a th book of theology, it feels like, again, it's one more thing you've checked off the list. Ah, I read the novel or I slogged through, but like poems are such small bite-sized things that to me, it's less about, um, look, I accomplished it. And more like the goal of the poet is to help change the way I see and interact with the world. Um, and that, like knowing that like that's part of the idea is sitting and savoring almost like these little bite-sized units of thought or meaning or reflection has a way then of even changing the way I interact with the routine doldrum stuff too, of like, okay, if this poet was able to find something really cool about the uh, envelope they got in the mail or the weird moment they had with their kid or, you know, whatever, then like there is something maybe hidden in plain sight, but about all the other stuff in my day that I might be really struggling to find something good in too. So I guess I, I've found that's been a helpful thing that's good for my soul. Um, not quite like an emergency, like I must read a poem or I'm going to have a panic attack, but more like as part of the like basic rhythm, like it, my, my soul feels better when I have been in conversation or reflection with poets who I get uh, than when I have not done that. And that's not always been the case, but that's how it is now. It's It sounds almost like it's a reminder to observe a, a phrase that I've heard on the internet, casual magic of your ordinary everyday life mm -hmm, and kind mm -hmm. of romanticizing parts of that. Like um, Studio Ghibli does this for me where like mm. Studio Ghibli movies remind me to like, oh, there is comfort in like seeing a dish full of um, 
like a dish drainer full of drying dishes. Like mm. there's something oddly beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. There's something oddly beautiful about this tomato being cut up. Like yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's that reminder that there's casual magic or beauty yeah. in ordinary things. Yeah. And just paying attention to those is sometimes refreshing and feeds our souls. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's that's for me this deeper logic of it is like when I find myself feeling close to overwhelmed um the impulse can be I've got so much to do, I must rush faster, I must, you know, the pace must increase. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even though it is counterintuitive, it is nope, what is necessary right now is to stop and pause and it doesn't have to be long because yep yeah, there's stuff that will need to be done but like that that ability to stop and notice that maybe in other traditions they might speak of as mindfulness even though i know that phrase gets hijacked to mean anything and nothing um and that probably i think even the great um contemplatives in christian history have sort of understood that value of stopping and pausing and that if brother lawrence can find the presence of god in washing the dishes you know or the the other um uh, contemplative voices of the faith have been able to stop and see uh, the beauty in the midst of the ordinary life that it's not necessarily I need to get away somewhere else then my problems will go away um, but rather I need to carve out the time for what will feed my soul and I think that that allows in both directions what you name Sarah sometimes for some people it's withdrawn away from other people and sometimes it's I need to be reconnected with other people um, and that even though those look opposite they're in a weird way both doing the same thing I think so there's something that we haven't mentioned at all, which I think is should be maybe lots of people's first go to if they think that they're approaching burnout. Yeah. Is actually take some time to take that step back, look at your life and see what you can put down. Mm -hmm. Because I know when I mentioned that for me, burnout feels like I'm holding all of the things and I can't let anything go or it's all going to go. That's usually an indicator that I do actually need to put something down. Yeah. And there are some things that we can't put down, yeah. right? Like yeah. we can't suddenly stop feeding our children every day. Mm -hmm. Can't do it. We can't stop like for us preaching, but maybe we can give ourselves the gift of finding somebody else for an upcoming Sunday so that you have more breathing space in that week or find a sermon that you really like that you can share with like full credit of who wrote it um you know find little things that you can maybe put down for a week or a month or a year mm -hmm. um you know if when i have parishioners come up to me and say that they're experiencing burnout or they're feeling overwhelmed and overworked as a volunteer my go-to is always okay we'll take a step away for a couple months mm -hmm. like you can yeah. trust everybody else on your committee and team yeah. to continue the work while you take a break yeah and then you can come back renewed and refreshed and re-energized yeah um so you know take a look at your life and see what you can set down for a period of time because it'll be there when you come back mm -hmm. or maybe it means that somebody else will pick it up for you and then you don't have to be responsible for it um you know but see what you can put down i, I your think load. i think uh maybe uh following on the heels of that then like how do we help guide ourselves or guide other people through that discernment of what can be put down um because again i think I, I i don't know about you but i've i've been in conversations with people where what is so frustrating for them is 
initially they're like, well, I can't put anything down because who will pick it? You know, who will carry it or it needs to get. And so sometimes that's a prayerful conversation. And sometimes that's okay. Sounds like part of what your prayer life needs to be like right now is go ahead and say it out loud or write it down or whatever. God, here's all the stuff I feel like I'm carrying. And somehow, even in the act of like thinking it through and talking it out with God, sometimes that clarity emerges there. Sometimes you need another person as that conversation partner. And maybe you need a couple of different directions of conversation. Sometimes if like you're feeling pulled in a bunch of different directions, um, you need to talk to other stakeholders in your life, like a spouse or coworkers and say like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I need someone who can help pick up the slack here, here, here. And sometimes it's, you need to talk to somebody outside of the system to say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Help me sort through what are the things that I do or don't really need to, and, and that all those might be useful, helpful conversations. And so it's not just only one, well, pray and then that'll fix it, or just talk to your spouse or just talk to your boss or just talk to your coworker. Those are different people who have different stakeholder, different stakes in your life. And knowing what you want out of each of those conversations can be helpful too. And maybe this is another place for us to name one of the particular ways church life can be pernicious about this is uh, for us who are the three of us are pastors for whom financial compensation is tied to our work. So it's weird in one way for other people, their connection to the church is entirely volunteer. And a lot of the church's work and ministry is entirely volunteer led. And that means sometimes pastors can be in this weird position of being both tasked with help other people carry healthy balances in their life of what they can and can't do, and also recruit all the volunteers for all the things we want to do. And so how even how we manage in a congregation's life, there's limits to how much we can do. If we've only got so many people, you can't ask the same four people to do everything. That's not fair to them, and they will burn out. And we can't be asked to micromanage everybody else's work balance life, work life balance. So you know we don't burn out. So it's that sense for congregations too. How do you help avoid burnout in that way? And also, how do we have a sense of when you're asking people in volunteer ways, if somebody steps back, uh. That means you have to be prepared with either someone will need to arise to pick it up or it means we stop doing something for a while. And that that's okay too. that like the church's ministry has changed over 2000 years and we don't all do the same things we did 2000 years ago. I think COVID gave us such a gift in the sense Mm -hmm. that, you know, churches have been doing all of these like multitude of ministries for a long time and they've just added on ministries without taking away ministries but like over the past couple decades we have seen membership and participation decline but like those ministries are still going Mm -hmm. and covid gave us a lot of congregations this opportunity to set down some of those ministries and Mm -hmm. focus on what they actually had energy and passion about Mm -hmm. and they haven't necessarily picked up those old ministries again because they haven't been needed. They haven't been useful in today's times. Not like, you know, they were very helpful 30 years ago, but what was helpful 30 years ago isn't necessarily helpful today. Right. Right. And I would say that is often true for, for churches. Yeah. You You don't have to be doing 20 different mission projects. You can pare it down. And still Mm -hmm. be faithful to what God is calling you to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can be even more faithful because you're able to funnel more resources, you know, time, Mm -hmm. energy, money into, you know, a couple of ministries instead of all of the ministries. 
And I think that may also be a way of zooming out in that bigger sense in the, the corporate life of a, commu- of a community or congregation. The same thing we talked about with the balance between doing things that are project you've checked off and also the sense of who I am as a human being is in the end really what life is about. And that in congregational life, too, it can be so easy to focus on. We did all these projects. Look at all. And But if, if you've done that at the expense of everybody who is involved in them is so weary and now bitter and resentful and burned out like mm-hmm. that that's 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 not really the long haul jesus is interested in making us into whole thriving people and if that's our vision then it's not just we're the church that did a million things but the people who are part of this community feel more fully alive rather than drained all the time that's i think that's a better mark of health or doing what jesus calls this community called church to be um, and keeping that in mind, too, gives us clarity, I think, as well. So it's not just we're fine. We need to fix the people around us in our neighborhood by doing a bunch of service projects. No, we also need to, as people in the congregation, be given the tools to have good balance in our lives and feel like we are thriving. If that means doing less but doing what we do well, that that may be that may be a helpful direction for us. And while COVID helped us see those ministries that aren't necessarily helpful to the congregation or the community now that we're kind of sort of past that point, not completely. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We have a role being the church needs to do a better job at every so many years, reevaluating the ministries that we do, the right. ministries that we, that we support. Um, I remember in my home church years ago, they had like this little coffee house ministry for a while. It was kind of a recovery thing, kind of not, it, it went through a lot of different phases mm-hmm. and they eventually got to the point where we're just like, you know what? This isn't doing what we hoped it would do. Yeah. Yeah. And so they let it go. Yeah. And that was okay because that freed those people then to go and do other things. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that maybe then other people w- were more apt to get involved in than they were in the coffee house slash recovery ministry. Yeah. So um, I think COVID is hopefully a good example for us to, you know, not every year, but maybe every couple of years, you know, as leaders in the church, we sit down and be like, okay, here's the ministries that we're doing. What is bringing life to our church? What is draining us? Yeah. Um, what's bringing life to our community? What is no longer helpful for our community? Yeah. And often that happens in congregations when there's a worldwide pandemic, definite time for taking <laughs> stock. It also happens in times of transition, like when there's a change mm-hmm. in pastoral leadership or a building project or something like that. And that's good. Those are times that make sense. But in those in-between times, like if you've had a stretch of just whatever normal is going to be and to say, okay, we haven't gone through major transition or change, but yeah, we need to do that checking in on where, where are we at? And maybe a lesser degree, maybe it doesn't have to be a whole reinvention every year, but like some kind of ch- way for the leadership in the congregation, I would say both pastoral leadership as well as lay leadership, like, you know, your council sessions, things like that, to do that sort of in the year ahead, what do we, what has worked? What hasn't, you know, based on what we've just mm-hmm. come through and, and you're never going to get it completely right. There's going to be some things that you expect to be successes that aren't and vice versa. But even that it, it's again, that paying attention rather than just going on, auto, on autopilot, maybe that if we discover that's valuable for us as individuals, that introspection, that paying attention to ourselves and our lives and the casual magic uh, in our individual lives. Yep. That happens in a, in a community level in a congregation. How do we do that too? And something I've tried to implement in churches, haven't been very successful at it yet and haven't been able to really do it here, is like, 
you know, at the end of a year, beginning of a new year, what are all the different types of ministries like VBS or, or rummage sale even, or, you know, the food program that one of my churches has, like plan all those out, put those on a calendar. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see, okay, yep. January has this and February has yep. this and March has this and make sure that like, you're not overwhelming any one month or any one time frame. Yeah. With six things that could be yep. spread out yep. over a longer frame of time. Yeah. And I think that is such a really helpful thing. And that that, that allows in church life to be able to map out how in the different facets of our life as church, there's going to be some parts where it's the ritual part of our, you know, it's in mm-hmm. Christmas, we're going to be doing Christmas stuff. So don't plan a bunch of other projects. We're all going to be yeah. doing Christmassy stuff. And same thing at Easter, like to see that takes up a certain amount of bandwidth. Uh, and then to recognize different areas of church have different busy times. And then, yeah, that, that also helps you identify, huh, we got nothing going on in November. Oh, if we were looking to try something, maybe November is the time to do it. I mean, or, you know, whatever. But that that does have a way of helping making it, pacing ourselves, I guess. And that's just not for churches. I mean, that's sure. for any anyone's individual life. There are certain things like, you know, if your kids are involved in sports and stuff or, you know, you have yeah. school-age children, there are certain things that you don't have control over. But, you know, you can say, well, this kid, you know, say you have two kids, this one's involved in this sport, this one's involved in this sport. They might be the same season. They might not. Yeah. But like for every season of the year, you get one activity mm-hmm. rather than trying to fit three activities all in the yeah. spring yeah. and then not having any activities going on outside of school or whatever, say in the winter. Yeah. Can I ask... Um if either of you would have uh, recommendations or, or next steps, if any of these things that we've talked about so far, which are all, I think, good, solid uh, steps of direction, both for avoiding burnout and preventing it if you find yourself sliding into it. But imagining you have attempted any or all of these things we've talked about and still feel like, mm, I'm still like not pulling myself out of it. What, what are next steps? What, what, else, what else can people do if they find themselves in those circumstances? therapy yep that's just what i was gonna say find a good therapist (laughs) because i think that no matter what profession you're in or no matter what's going on in your life if you think that you are experiencing burnout or approaching it and you can't stop it find a good therapist who can listen to you who can be that person to help provide for you that you know so often like especially you know pastors or teachers or doctors you know we give 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 this is somebody who can give to us Mm-hmm. and have it be that type of relationship where it is kind of one way and they are here to listen to you and what's going on in your life right now and yeah. to help think of ways to help you get out of it yeah. because that is super specialized because it's one person talking to you yeah. and finding ways to make it better because yeah. well those friendships we talked about earlier those friendships where we are just ourselves we're not mm-hmm. pastor we're not parent we're not spouse are good there's biases in those and you know there's that there is that back and forth yeah and we said you know it's not healthy for us as pastors to put our emotional baggage on our parishioners that's what a counselor is paid for right and (laughs) and, take on somebody else's baggage maybe in a way that is different even from what friends can do is that uh 
I, I imagine most most friends want their mutual friends still to like them at the end of the conversation. And in mm-hmm. the sense, the therapist's job is not to be liked, but to help speak truthfully. And that means if the yeah. therapist sees things that you don't want to acknowledge, but like it seems like there's a pretty glaring issue, or the, I'm noticing you're codependent mm-hmm. here, or whatever, that that's part of what that person's not only skill set but job is, and that they then are able to hold call us out on stuff rather than. Friends who will like, well, I don't want to say it to so-and-so because that hurt their feelings. And the therapist's job is like, I'm not yeah. here to worry about your feelings exactly, um, it's, but h- how to help you mm-hmm. be well, you know? Other things you think we need to say about how we manage through or avoid the challenges of burnout? I'd say just figuring out what works for you. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of different things that work for us. Some of those might work for you. Maybe none of them work for you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. So what brings about life for you is good places to start um, when you're feeling burnout. And and perhaps to see that for us as Christians, we have in the example of Jesus, both times he went off by himself up to the mountain all by himself, times he surrounded himself by others, Mm -hmm. and times he took naps on a boat. In the middle of storms. Yeah. And you know you're tired when you can sleep through a storm while you're in a boat. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we are going to invite you to join us for more conversation, hoping that these conversations help bring you to life, too, and uh, that you'll join us for more conversation on what brings us to life here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.